I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's Mind League podcast. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'm joined by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Lavin, and Thomas Henderson. How's everyone doing this week? Good, good. Doing all right. Mm-hmm. Would be nice if my running backs could stop getting hurt, you know, but here we are. <laughs> all right, so promote extend trade this week, and on this date in 1970... PBS started broadcasting, and I'm not really sure if it's the case anymore because cable is a lot more broad and common than it was like 20, 25 years ago. And then obviously the internet came along and changed everything, but PBS was definitely a big part of my youth. I'm sure you guys too. Uh, Was Sesame Street a PBS thing? Yes. Okay, I watched some of that. That was like the anchor show. I don't know if that's a term, but... My parents didn't let me watch a lot of TV. I'd like watch Jeopardy, and that was about it. Nice. Well, Jeopardy it explains a like lot, the, doesn't uh, it? <laughs> <laughs> Jeopardy would be like the adult equivalent of PBS broadcasting. Yeah. yeah. All right, so then of these shows, what will we promote, extend, or trade? And I think that these are all kind of common enough shows that, Lucas, you can fill in the gaps here. Uh-huh. First one is Arthur, then we have Shining Time Station, and finally we have Barney. The hell is Shiny Time Station? Jesus Christ, man. 
Yeah, I, I, I have no it. idea what you're talking about. No, well, I'm not alone. What is wrong with you people? Well, <laughs> Steve, I don't think we have a long enough podcast to answer that question. Thomas many, the Tank many, Engine. Many things. Thomas yeah. the Tank Engine. We're we ringing go. any bells. Yes, I know that. Wait, that was the name of the show. Yes. Oh. oh I just called okay. it Thomas the Tank Engine. Then it I had fucking one. Ringo Starr, our one podcast listener. Our one listener is, is Ringo Starr. Yes. As he was Mister, he was he was the main character in Shining Time Station, and then George Carlin. Oh my That's God! Weird. I'm Wild. just so. I didn't know that that was the name of it. I would have never guessed. I, I, a, I did. I would never watch Thomas the Tank Engine show. Period. And B, I wouldn't have known that name in a hundred years. Anyway, <laughs> I'm uh, just like I'm. I'm about to just hang up on this podcast. <laughs> oh, not good. Um, but for our one listener, Ringo Starr, out there, I won't. So we will continue. Uh huh. I'm gonna. I'm going to go like hardcore internet reference here and I'm going to extend the Thomas the Tank Engine show because I love Thomas the Tank Engine memes. Mm. Like the Skyrim mod where you turn the trains, uh, turn all the dragons into trains. <laughs> yep. Or the ones where they turn the whole town into like eldritch horrors. They're like actually monsters with multiple limbs living inside the train cars, you know? It's, it's, it's right up my alley. Uh, and I'm for sure trading Barney because that purple dinosaur is an annoying fuck and I hate him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you also have the Arthur memes. The Arthur, me- Arthur definitely gets extended. I'm, yeah, same. Um, You're extending Arthur? Okay. I'm uh, extending Shining Dumb Station. Steve, it's even occurs to me now that, uh, the correct, your correct response would be, it was time for Steve to go. He had seen everything. <laughs> <laughs> Oh well. Is that well who what I, the what kind of name is that? Why not just call it the Thomas the Tank Engine show? Because it was it it was more than just the the five minute Thomas the Tank Engine shorts. They built an entire show around it that took place at Shining Time Station. See, so stretch like, it out to, you know, a half an hour kid show. I would have never in a uh, trillion years have known that. Were there I'm like not, people? Yeah. There were? I yeah. thought it was just Thomas for thirty minutes. No. Rolling around. <laughs> well, I knew there were other trains and they had names, right? Yes, but I do right. And then there's the the fat conductor dude. But right. there are other people. Yes, live actors. It was a whole. It was a whole thing. Like I, I know I'm a little older than you guys, but still, like <laughs> I'm pretty sure that it was on that the show was on until like the mid to late '90s. Like, oh man. I mean, I have very strong, vivid memories of Thomas the Tank Engine, just not of the rest of the extended world. It had the um, also the, the the human cast. Obviously, like I said, there was Ringo Starr and George Carlin. It also had the 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 girl, the lead girl from Greece with the squeaky voice. She was also in it. It had some pretty like big celebrities. Were they, would they play themselves? No, they were characters. They worked at the the aforementioned Shining Time Station, which was an old train station that was like haunted by Mister Conductor, who, uh-huh. who you know, <laughs> was fat, fat Conductor Man. No, he was he was Ringo Starr and or George Carlin in series one and two, and he. You know, when when the children that were there had problems, he would tell them a, a morality tale, and then that morality tale would be the Thomas the Tank Engine short. Huh. 
You know, you know, I'm thinking about it a little bit more. I don't think I watched PBS the channel. I watched a lot of like PBS VHS specials. So like mm-hmm. the dinosaur one, or maybe those were eyewitness spe- VHS specials. I don't remember, dude. My, my brain is mush. <laughs> Point is, I never watched a show about people associated with Thomas the Tank Engine. Well, I guess that's what happens when you watch too much Mets baseball. Your brain just becomes mush. That's uh, not fast enough, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. All right, well, let's move on from this curse topic then. And we'll go <laughs> to another curse topic. The CPBL, KBO, and MPB. And uh, for the second straight week now, the Unilines went 2-3. and three, So that puts them at 25-23-1 in the second half, which is a game behind the Fulban Guardians. And that gives them a magic number of 11 for elimination. Uh, the hit of the week is Anko Lin. He had a pretty damn good week. He went 10 for 20 with a double, five homers, three walks, and nine RBI total. So that gives him 32 homers on the season now. So he needs just one more to tie the line single season record, which is 33. And that was set by Tilson Brito in 2007. And the CPBL home run record is 39. That was set by Kuo Hui Kwa in 2015. And there's 11 games left. So it's not completely out of reach for Lin to get real, there. It'll be a real tear. Yeah, I mean, obviously this past week he hit five homers, so he's on hot streak, and he does have five multi-homer games for the year, so he might. It's pretty unlikely, but in theory, it's possible. And much less exciting um, is the pitcher of the week, and that goes out to our once former draft pick and our Eastern League friend, Teddy Stankiewicz who pitched six scoreless innings, and he won his fourth game in Taiwan, scattering three hits. He walked one, and he struck out six. Next up are the LG Twins. They had uh, their first bad week in a while. They went three and five. So that leaves them at 67, 55, and three in the year, which drops them down to fourth place now. Uh, Hit of the week is Young Jung Lee. Uh, Lee was the hitter of the week a couple of weeks ago. He was the guy that was originally drafted as a pitcher, and he hit a ton of injuries to the point that he retired, and then he came back as a hitter, and he's been a, a pretty solid hitter since. Uh, he went 12 for 25 with two doubles, four homers, three walks, a hit by pitch, and 13 total RBI. And pitcher of the week is rookie Min Ho Lee, no relation to Hyung Jong, and he gave up two runs over six innings, uh, six and a third innings, allowing three hits, walking four, and striking out seven. And Lee was pitcher of the week really early on in the season. Uh, he was the Twins' regional draft selection last year, and he's having a relatively decent rookie year. Uh, he's a 415 ERA in 82 and a third innings, allowed 83 hits, walked 35, and struck out 58, which is a 3.7 and a 6. Um, K per nine, uh, excuse me, walks per nine and strikeouts per nine. And last up are the Swallows. And would you believe me if I said they went 6-0 this week? No. No. Nope. Okay, well, yeah, I'm lying. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they went, I believe you if you said they went 0-6. Yeah, they went 2-4. and four, So, oh, okay. Not, not as big. Could have been worse. 
and they are 34, 49, and 6, which is 21 and a half games behind the Giants now. So the old veteran Tomataka Sakaguchi, he is hitter of the week, and it wasn't a particularly impressive week, but, you know, slim pickings. And he went 6 for 20 with two doubles, four walks, and three total RBI. And surprisingly, we have a pretty solid pitching performance for Pitcher of the Week this week, and it's somebody new. Uh, right-handed pitcher Hiroaki Sayauchi, and he pitched seven scoreless innings, allowing five hits, walking two, and striking at four. So Sayuchi, this is his first season with the Swallows. He was initially drafted by the Hanshin Tigers in 2011, and he played with them from 2012 until last season when he was released. Then he signed with the Weijon Dragons, who are an expansion team that's going to be joining the CPPL next year. Uh, they haven't actually played any games yet, but they're allowed to, you know, sign players. And then he also signed with the, at the same time, the Kagawa Olive Gainers, which is a team in the Shikoku Island League, which is a, an independent league in Japan. And he put up decent numbers for them, and the Swallows picked him up because, as we know, their pitching really sucks. <laughs> and so far, he's given up seven earned runs in 14 and a third innings, which comes out to a 440 ERA. And that's pretty much in line with his career numbers. He has a career 425 ERA. Um, very typical Japanese pitcher. His fastball tops at around 91 or so. It used to be... A little higher. He used to top around 93, 94, but a couple of years ago he hurt his shoulder, so he lost some of that velocity. And then he complements the fastball with a okay slider, an okay curve, and a pretty good splitter. So that is about as prototypical Japanese right-hander as you can get. Just super average. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll come back now to America, and we have a little bit of Mets roster player news, whatever you want to call it. Uh, first thing we'll talk about, I guess, is the draft. And last week, games are still going on as we were recording, so there were a lot of variables. But um, the Mets would have been able to pick as low as 7 and high as 12, and now the dust settled, and the Mets are going to be picking 10th overall. Um, Such a what, wet spot. It's it's better, you know. It it, it ain't bad. Um, a lot of... A lot of you know, another win or two, and they could have been, you know, like 16, 17, which is definitely a Mets thing. Mm. But, you know, yeah. 10 overall, 10 overall is pretty good. Interestingly... Yeah, the bottom of where I'd be like, okay. Yeah, uh, interestingly, there has not been a single Hall of Famer that's been drafted 10th overall, but uh-huh. there's been a, a lot of good, solid to elite players. Mark McGuire, who... You could put an asterisk next to the Hall of Fame thing he because he should be in the Hall of Fame, yeah. right? I mean, it's it, it is what it is. But yeah, McGuire, Robin Ventura, Ben Sheets, Madison Bumgarner, Tim Ben Lincecum. Sheets. Now that's a name I've not heard in a long, yep. long time. That's why I included that name because I was like, wow, I remember Ben Sheets. I that remember was, uh, he was like uh, a free agent right around the time I was getting into to like roster planning and thinking about free agent moves. I really wanted the Mets to sign Ben Sheets as like a reclamation mm-hmm. project at some point. Ben Sheets and Eric Bedard. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yep. Um, like the same, but Sheets was, wasn't he right-handed and Bedard was left-handed or were they both lefties? I think they were both righties. I think Bedard was right. Am I, am I, I just know. like off my rocker? 
You might be. I mean, you don't know Shiny Time Station, so. Oh, right, right. You got me there. <laughs> um, and, and on the Mets right now is Michael Conforto, who they picked at 10, so he's you obviously. There's no Hall of Famer, Steve. Well, ha, no, I you're think... the one off your rocker. Ben Sheets <laughs> is right-handed and Bedard is left-handed. Ha! Listen, last week when we were talking about going to the future, so I can't see the future right now. So, <laughs> And then looking past those kind of guys that have already had pretty good careers and established themselves, the number 10 pick in the last couple of years has been pretty good. Reed Detmers was picked in 2020. Hunter Bishop was 2019. Oh, Travis Swaggerty. Yeah, he was Travis Swaggerty's 2018. And it's no doubt that Detmers and Bishop would be slam dunk the Mets' top prospect if they're in the system. And you could even make a case for Swaggerty over Mauricio. So regardless of the player that the Mets, regardless of the of the player the Mets draft, it will be somebody pretty good. Yeah, there'll be someone that's right at the top of our lists. Mm-hmm. Unless they've they like historically done pretty well with uh, with top ten picks. Mm-hmm. And Sandy should be back. So hopefully. Like, that's the ex- expectation, I guess, right now? Well, we'll see. Hopefully it's not Brody. Although Brody has drafted pretty well, so. But, yeah. And then some other 2021 news now. Uh, some of the Mets' top prospects are going to be getting a little bit of organized experience over the winter, so they'll be less rusty going to the year next year, assuming that there is a year next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so two, two prospects have been announced as playing in the winter leagues. One of them is Mark Vientos. He's going to be playing in the Dominican winter league for Los Leones de Escogido. And Escogido is not actually a city. They play in Santo Domingo. Uh, Escogido means chosen. So the team is actually the Chosen Lions, which I think is pretty badass. That's pretty sweet. That's Mm -hmm. fire. And then the other prospect that they're going to be that's going to be playing that we know about right now in the winter leagues is Francisco Alvarez, and he's going to be playing on the complete other side of the world with the Sydney Blue Sox, which is a team in the Australian Baseball League. And interestingly enough, the Blue Sox a couple of days ago, I think maybe a day or two before they announced that Alvarez was going to be playing with them, they they um, posted like a, a teaser tweet with a picture of the Mets logo, and it had a, a time six next to it. So I'm assuming that in addition to Alvarez, the Mets are going to be sending five other prospects over to the Blue Sox with him. Or Jeff so, McNeil. Oh yeah, I mean, somebody. But Imagine, it, it, what would his batting average be? 600. <laughs> yeah, it would be really high. <laughs> you know how like, Jeff McNeil always feels like he should get a hit and is like, pissed off should. every time? Always yeah, I know. <laughs> He should be mad if he makes if he gets out. <laughs> when was the last time I can't remember a Met prospect or a prospect for any other team going to play in Australia? Honestly, uh, they do all the time, but most of the time the guys that I don't really bother following because the winter leagues are just kind of like mishmash baseball in terms of in terms of what's going on. It's just on. wherever you think you can get reps. Yeah, exactly. So you'll have guys that, you know, are as low, you know, as far down as low A playing with guys that are in AAA. It's kind of like, you know, the, the, what's the word? The talent disparity is just all over the place or the talent level. So it's pretty fun though. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it's one of those things where it's not really that useful for getting information out of it as much as it just, it's fun to watch. And then obviously the guy, you know, it, it's important that the guys get, that little bit of extra playing time to just not be rusty 
especially, especially now. now. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We were literally saying the same thing, but yeah, <laughs> like especially this year because he didn't play really. Like, who knows how the, the level of competition he faced at the mm-hmm. whatever they were doing at the site at the offsite. And I think that it's great that they'll be getting a little extra playing time, but really even more important to me with these guys going to the Blue Sox is the fact that they're going to get, as Ken pointed out, they're going to get to be teammates with Manny Ramirez. <laughs> so have we confirmed that? Because he's not listed on their roster on uh, Wikipedia. That I'm looking well, at right now. I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty sure, but who knows with Manny? Manny sure. being Manny. Manny could be just being Manny. You're right. Mm-hmm. Wasn't he that like would a be player manager cool. in, the, in the Taiwanese Baseball League? He was a player manager with the Iowa Cubs in 2014. Ah, and ah. he was he was pretty well-liked and everything like that. So honestly, I don't really care if the prospects that they send do good or bad. I hope that it's actually just a way to woo Manny to come and play for us. Like Manny, the third-base <laughs> coach or something. I mean... Manny, Manny the hitting coach, like he's going to be on the team because they have merch on their Twitter. They tweeted it. Yep, there you go. Then they have jerseys for sale and they have a hoodie. That's uh, a blue I might sock. Have to get one. Hold on, <laughs> the hoodie is a blue sock, right? And it has dreads and it has a bat. Oh, that's hysterical, actually. That's yeah, Manny. And like they're gonna. I mean, obviously, like if I'm gonna buy a, a Sydney blue socks stuff, it's gonna be a Manny Ramirez thing. So oh, of course they're they're being smart, but. But I mean, you know, Mullins is is probably, I guess, just based on his kind of uh, body of work and how much he's respected, stay as hitting coach. But bring Manny in for some kind of, like I said, third base coach. Imagine the terrible calls that Manny will make at third base sending runners. <laughs> oh my God, it'd be a disaster. <laughs> but it would be amazing and great at the same time. This is the know? kind of thing you should do in a in a losing season, right? You just they should have done that this year. Right, right, right. When, uh, what's his name? Who was the third base coach this year? Uh, DiSarcina, right? I think so. Yeah, and then he was, like, out with not COVID, but he probably had COVID for a couple <laughs> weeks. Like, bring Manny in for It'll be fun. Manny could just be the floating coach. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Covers whatever position is not available <laughs> for that week. <laughs> what, he should just listed as coach on the, on the yeah, website. Yeah, exactly. Yep. No, no, he's not listed as coach. He's just listed as Manny. Manny yeah. Ramirez. <laughs> Manny. We're paying him to be Manny. Well, uh-huh. of course. You mean like shortening? Are you shortening the word manager? No, no, we just mean Manny. <laughs> and of course, bringing Manny to the Mets would would correct that you know historic injustice that he was never traded for or anything like that back in the early two thousands. So that would have been so fun. Mm-hmm. I, I I loved watching him. He was great. Mm-hmm. But he made. Uh, I know I saw this rant from an LA fan years ago about how those seats down the left field line actually suck. But he made them like the most marketable in the ballpark. <laughs> Manny would. Manny would. And like he couldn't play defense. And like I'm I'm a weirdo with defense where like I I really like it. But like I don't care. Put him in center field as long as he's oh, on the God. Well, he'd be coaching. We don't need a center field coach. I mean, although yeah, actually, Thomas, he's almost like fifty. <laughs> is Manny Ramirez that old? Yeah, yeah he's in his late forties. He might actually even be fifty at this point. I think he's forty-eight. I think I looked mm. it up the other day. Yeah, forty-eight. 
I'm well, pretty actually, sure uh, if if Julio Franco could like mm-hmm, stick around mm-hmm. and get hits at like 50, I'm pretty sure if that role still existed in baseball, Manny could like hang out on a bench and and, yeah. and collect hits occasionally. Designated Manny. Yeah, exactly. The the, the Mets should have him and Cano split DH and have uh, the oldest per capita DH in the league. <laughs> they they probably still could hit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Cano obviously can hit, and I would not bet against Manny. No, no way. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. So in a statement, um, future Mets owner Steve Steve Cohen gave last week, he said, quote, If I'm fortunate enough to be approved by Major League Baseball as the next owner of this iconic franchise, Sandy Alderson will become president of the New York Mets and oversee all Mets baseball and business operations. I'm excited to have Sandy in a key leadership role with the Mets if my purchase of the team is approved. Let's go, Mets. Obviously, you know, Sandy is a name that we're all familiar with. He was GM for basically this past decade, give or take. And... His, you know, vision for the Mets, given all of the constraints put upon him, obviously, with the Wilpons and all that going on, um, you know, shaped the Mets into the team that, that they are today. So, with that in mind, we're going to look over Sandy Alderson's 10 years Mets GM from when he was first hired to 2014. I will look at some free agent signings from a minor league point of view. So I'm just kind of going to ignore the major league ones, the obvious, you know, signings and just look to see how sometimes obscure minor league contracts would go on to have pretty big impact on the major league roster. We'll look at his draft picks and were any of them terrible? You know, was anything, any obvious guys that they should have picked? We'll look at his international free agent signings and, you know, were there any uh, hits there, you know. Uh, You're telling me we're not going to do a deep dive on the Frank Francisco signing 10 I years was, later? I was thinking about it, and then actually that's what, what made me say, you know what, I don't even want to deal with uh, <laughs> <literally> free agents. <laughs> so we'll go to start with 2011. We'll start with free agent signings. And on January 25th, he signed free agent Tim Burdak to a minor league contract. And, yeah, I mean, Burdak became a perfectly solid reliever for basically two of the three years that he was on the team. So definitely found some gold there. On February 16th, 
2011, he signed Jason Isringhausen to a minor league contract. And there's definitely a lot of ways to look at, at this one, and basically they're all positive. Because um, first, the, Met, the Mets got a reliever that they relied on quite a bit over the course of that season. Two, Izzy was a mentor for Bobby Parnell, and Parnell became a better pitcher as a result. And then three, Isinghausen was, of course, part of Generation K. And the fact that he got a got a second life on his career because the Mets were willing to give him another shot is kind of, you know, poetic. Because his first career with the Mets as a, as a starting pitcher wasn't really all that great. No. Yeah. I mean, when was the last time? The, I'm trying to think of the last time the Mets signed a minor league reliever and got something uh, useful out of it. Well, I mean, a couple of times the Mets hit on some people, but during the Alderson era. During the Brody era, I I don't really know. Which says something, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's part of the problem, because Mm. there's just so many arms you need now that Mm -hmm. you need to do stuff like this. Yep. Those are really the only minor league uh, free agents that had an impact, really, in 2011. So we'll go over to trades now. And there were a couple. Um, one is his first trade. And this, is, this one was a doozy, of course. On December 27th, 2010, his first trade, he traded left-hander Michael Antoniti to the Dodgers in exchange for Chin Lung Hu. And then had that, <laughs> what? had that, had that press conference. Is it bad that I have literally zero memory of either of these players? Um, you don't remember who at all. No. Like, they literally had a press conference. He was like, uh, uh, he was like a Ruben Tejada, Omar Quintanilla type of shortstop. Probably worse than that. And they had like a legit press conference introducing him and everything. Cause yeah, I remember. That was, that was the first trade that Alderson made, so it was like, well, pomp and circumstance fanfare. And he was just a, he was a jabroni, basically. Uh, Nothing? Maybe my brain actually is much. Well, yeah, I mean, really the only reason why that trade is notable is because of that press conference and just how ridiculous it was. But interestingly enough, both Antonini and who are both playing. Uh, Antonini has been playing in the Atlantic League since 2013 and who's been on the, uh, the Fubon Guardians and the CPBL. So they're both going strong. Hmm. Maybe this is a trade that you'll remember on, uh, July 13th, the Mets traded Francisco Rodriguez to the Brewers in exchange for minor league reliever Agent Rosario and quad A reliever Danny Ray Herrera and then some cash. The shortest dude ever. Yep, yep. That's why I was a fan of him because he threw a screwball and he was like the shortest pitcher in baseball history. So how could you not root for a guy like that? Much easier to root for him than uh, uh, Francisco Rodriguez to be sure. Mm-hmm. It sucks that the Mets really got trash for K-Rod, given that, you know, all of the off-the-field stuff and the made-off stuff with the Mets and his numbers were, his numbers were still, like, okay, but, I mean, they got nothing for a guy who was a competent reliever and he'd still pitch decently for another couple of years, but... I mean, he was, like, bonkers with the Angels, came to the Mets and sucked. Didn't suck, he was... He was okay. But yeah. there was, like, just, it didn't matter. They gave up the pick that became 
in quotations, Mike Trout, even though it was actually Randall Gritchick, but, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then went on to have, like, another six, seven good years. And I would when when would you say, like, the peak reliever trade market was? Like, 2015, 16, 17, and there? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Like, if the, imagine now if the Mets had Rodriguez at that point and traded him during that period. Like, mm-hmm. they could have gotten a lot more than two nobodies, basically. But one trade that uh, took place a couple of, like, two weeks later after that definitely met, netted the Mets as somebody. And on July 28th, 2011, the Mets traded Carlos Beltran to the San Francisco Giants in exchange for Zach Wheeler. And that was a, a that worked. big get. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty wild how they got someone as good as, I say, someone as high profile as Wheeler for a rental. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, back then, that could still happen. Like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. Carlos Beltran is Carlos Beltran. War yeah, he was, say, but, he was still hitting until that point, 289, 391, 513 with 15 yeah, homers. One of the so. best players in the league, so I get it. But, like, it's pretty, like, now someone trading a prospect that good for a rental would be, like, insane. Yeah. No one would even, you wouldn't even come close to someone that could. Who no. was the outfielder that we all thought they were actually getting? Uh Brown or something like that. I don't know. Oh, Gary Brown, yeah. Gary Brown. Uh, yeah, like some oh, yeah. center fielder dude yeah, who couldn't yeah. hit and then never hit. And we all were like, I remember the initial speculation right after the, the news was announced was that, oh, it's going to be for this dude because he was their number two prospect. And it was like, okay, like objectively that's fine, but not very exciting. And then it was Wheeler. It's like, oh, great. Yeah, I mean, Gary Brown did not have a career, noteworthy career. And, um, you know, Wheeler missed some time because of Tommy John and the convocations, but he ended up pitching 749 in one-third innings for the Mets over five years, had a 377 ERA, 100, exactly 100 ERA plus. So, I mean, he became a, a guy that the Mets kind of relied on, but, you know, couldn't at the same time, but definitely won that one. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll look over at the draft now, the 2011 draft, and the Mets had two first picks, first round picks. First was Brandon Nimmo, who was selected 11th overall, and the second was Michael Fulmer, who was selected 44th overall. Can't complain about Nimmo, really. No. No, I mean, a lot at of... At this point, he's a well above average hitter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Dude's, dude's an incredible hitter has, like, elite-level plate discipline. Ah, yes, the sounds of New York City in the background. <laughs> um, one of us is being taken away. Uh, I remember I remember for a couple years after the fact, there was, like, bitching and moaning about uh, Jose Fernandez being selected after Nimmo, and it was mm-hmm. like, come on, dude. Like, there's no... No one knew that was going to happen. No. It's also, like, with the baseball drafts and stuff, it's, as long as you get someone good, I almost don't care who was around. Like, right. It's so it's random. It's all so random. Mm-hmm. Like, it's in a di- in different sports, like, oh, you passed on this quarterback for this one, you lost that. Like, yeah. But in baseball, Nimmo is a good hitter, and, like, I'm a, he could play the corner outfield pretty well. I don't think he could play center. But even so, you put him in left, and he's one of the better left fielders. He's like a solid so, three to five yeah. win player. Exactly. So, you know, he's, uh, a, he's very Those are the guys you, you need on, on a, a team with 
say championship aspirations, you know, those you, that's that's what those teams are built out of. Yeah, you know, you need to draft those guys because when you pay for them, you probably have to pay a little more than you want. And he has a he has a skill set that I in particular really really love. Like I just love the extreme plate discipline guys. It's too bad that Joey Votto can't hit for power anymore because that's what he was. Nimmo mm-hmm. is very much in that vein of player. Mm-hmm. And then other guys that were selected during that draft was Rob Gazelman in the 13th round, Phil mm-hmm. Evans in the 15th round, John Gant in the 21st round, and Seth Lugo in the 34th round. So that's not a, a bad real good draft. Yeah, that's yeah, a not that's a bad a, hole. <laughs> we didn't. I mean, we didn't even talk, talk about Fulmer there. No. Uh, and who was like. Before he got hurt was good. Right, and I mean, got a Cespedes. Mm-hmm. And I will still die on the hill that Fulmer was an overpay because there's no way you know that Cespedes is going to turn into fucking Babe Ruth on atomic-powered steroids <laughs> for a month and a half, but... Uh, we'll get to that. It, it's yeah. an overpay I'm okay with, but yeah. We'll, we'll, yeah, absolutely. Um, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, no, I understand yes. that. The, the, the Tigers definitely waited too long to trade Fulmer because he's always hurt. And getting a usable major league arm in Gazelman and a potential like a borderline great reliever in Lugo. That's all. Even Gant has been a very good. Yeah, Gant was good. A couple of years. Yeah. Phil Evans somehow was good this year before he hurt himself. He's with the Pirates, right? Yeah. yeah. I didn't get why the Mets gave up on I mean, they have a lot of infield depth now, but when they gave up on him, it was like, we have no infield depth. Why are you getting rid of this dude? Did he mm. keep getting hurt? I don't remember. Yeah, he got like a couple like little things. It wasn't like anything drastic, but mm-hmm. it was just a very Metsy and give up, it felt like. Oh, yeah. Mm. And then looking at the IFA market, they had a couple of high price signings that year. One, Vicente Lupe, Lubo, who they signed for 350000 then there is third baseman Pedro Perez. They signed for 280. Louis Mateo. They signed for 150,000. And the most successful of the bunch, and also the cheapest, is Rafael Montero. That they signed for 80,000. Huh. Definitely a good find there with Montero. Oh. Another guy that the Mets gave up on a little too early, it seems. Yeah, I, I, I so, can't. So, so that's one of those where I know why they gave up. <laughs> oh yeah, no. It's not okay. like why did you do that, you stupid idiots. It's, it's a situation was... where you just you know. You get you to know. a point where, like, especially with the draft, like we were talking about a few minutes ago, like so much development happens, you know, beyond the organization has such an influence on the development of the player. Like at some point, he's just mm-hmm. not going to figure it out in it, you know. Yeah. Well, there's a player who. You know, <laughs> We'll we'll talk about a player like that in a couple of minutes here in in a future year that that is 100% the case. He would not have become the the, the solid player that he did become in this organization. He needed a, a change of scenery. I mean, correct correct me if I'm wrong on Montero. He was one of those dudes that signed older than most. He was like 20, so they yeah. got him. Mm-hmm. Like that that's a good find because I feel like a lot of those guys probably slipped through the cracks. So yep. Get it? I mean, even getting like a quad A type arm out of a DSL signing is is good. Yeah, I mean, any any guy that that gets uh, uh, fairly up the minor league ladder out of the Dominican and and up into the you know maybe past high A, you're like, okay, that that was a pretty good signing, even if they don't actually make it because yep. they came so close. 
All right, now we'll move on to 2012. So if looking now at free agent signings, uh, the first one of note came in December 2011, and Mets, not, not exactly a free agent signing, but the Mets claimed Jerry Hef- Jeremy Hefner off of waivers from the Pittsburgh Pirates, and Hefner was a pretty cromulent fifth starter for a couple of years, and I guess more importantly than that, you know, he uh, established a rapport between himself and the team, because he's their chosen pitching coach now, so... That worked out for yeah, him. Yeah, no, I, re- I remember <laughs> liking Hefner until his, like, his elbow, he had Tommy John and then his elbow, like, literally exploded while rehabbing, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yes. Um, but he was solid. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was slightly below average, which is f- completely fine for your back end starter, especially mm-hmm. for the, uh, <laughs> the early 2000s, I mean, the early 2010 Mets. Oh, God. Yeah, the uh, pitching was not a strength there, so. Neither was the hitting. Right, yeah, no strengths. Strength. There was no strengths, exactly. Um, a few days later, the Mets made another important minor league free agent signing. They signed left fielder Mike Baxter. And, um, you know, he was a pretty decent fourth, fourth outfielder slash pinch hitter for the next couple of years. But obviously, the most important thing about Baxter is that he was in left field in the seventh inning on June 1st, 2012. And he made that catch against Yadier Fakamalina. Because you know, if if it was anybody else, if it was anybody else, Molina would have burned us again. But Mike Baxter's—it's always, always Yadi Molina. Mm-hmm. But Mike Baxter is from Whitestone. He's a Mets fan, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so fate canceled fate, and it worked out finally. I looked up Baxter's like Fangraphs page a, few, a little bit ago. I don't remember why, but he was a lot better than I realized. Yeah, like, he was yeah, like yeah. a. Really, I mean, I don't want to say really good hitter. He's like a nice on-base percentage guy. Like, I thought he was like some rando who was there because the Mets were awful. But, mm-hmm. like, he was kind of like a solid fourth outfielder before he got hurt. Like, like you could see him having a career. Like, if yeah, he, he's a, a good situational kind of guy to have on your team. Absolutely. <laughs> kind of the Alderson model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Walks a lot. No, it never really got back after that shoulder injury, though. And shoulder in, injuries are tough. In 2011, he had a 124 rate, weighted runs created plus, and in 2012, he had a 115. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, not bad. That's I mean, 20, 2012 was a reasonable sample size. Yeah, too, right. Like, he was playing games, a bunch. Yeah, he played 89 games and had a 115 weighted. Like, as your fourth guy, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah it's what yeah. you like to see. Um, another signing took place on March 25th, and Chris Young was signed to a minor league contract. And weirdly, Chris Young ended up throwing the third most innings on the team that year behind Ari Dickey, Jonathan Nice. And he was actually, um, you know, pretty average. Right. Right? He was all right. And, you know, like we said with a couple of other guys, getting a league average hitter or pitcher for you know from a, a guy that's just basically an afterthought minor league signing it's pretty good mm-hmm. it probably doesn't bode well, <laughs> doesn't bode well for a healthier team because you're relying on a guy like that but that aside you know good uh good results he's he's one of those unsung heroes of a rebuild guy mm-hmm. where like the team is in bad shape and you just need a bunch of innings 
and you get a guy basically for free to do that. That's good GMing when you're in that situation. Yep, exactly. And so that, those are the only noteworthy minor league signings. Um, and they had one noteworthy trade that took place in December 7th, and the Mets traded Angel Pagan to the San Francisco Giants in exchange for reliever Ramon Ramirez and center fielder Andres Torres. I hated this deal. Oh. I hated it when it was made. I was like, what? It, it, they were so clearly still rebuilding, and you traded one dude who you, sh- who should be like, uh, 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 a piece you sell for two other dudes who are worse pieces to sell. It was a kind of, you know, uh, two pieces to make up for that one. Yeah. You know, like, I bizarre. Bizarre. P- Pagan was an okay defender and above average bat, and then Torres was an above average defender and eh with the bat. And then it was like, okay, Ramon Ramirez will, will make up the difference. And he really didn't. I mean, it's the kind of move you make if you think you're going to contend and you have a hole in the bullpen and enough offense to, to weather the loss. Like, it's like, okay, this is a need for need. That's not what the Mets were. No. It, yeah. made, it made zero sense. And, of course, Torres was coming off of a career year with the bat, and he wasn't really good with the Mets. And then Ramon Ramirez had a pretty solid resume over the last, you know, the prior couple of years. And, of course, he wasn't really good with the Mets. So nope. the one good thing, I guess, is it's not like there was any lasting damage or anything like that. You know, nope. Angel Pagan was a, a solid player to have, but losing him was not going to destroy anything. It's more who you lost them for rather yeah. than yeah. the player. It's funny. I was at a, a BP Mets event uh, probably like 2016 or so, and Alderson was asked about this, and he basically said, like, was off the field reasons <laughs> mm. that we traded Angel Pagan. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so read into that what you will. Oh well. At that All point. Right. <laughs> Look at the draft now, and in 2012, uh, yeah, 2012, the Mets had the 12th selection overall, and they went with Gavin Cicchini. I will always be mad uh, about this. Yeah, I mean. Really, the jury comes down. It comes down to Lucas Giolito was, was sitting there, and there were all the questions of surrounding him needing Tommy John surgery, and he dropped from being like top five into the teens. And Cheech was the safe guy. Giolito was the risk, and they got scared off by the risk. And in retrospect, that was totally wrong because Cheech didn't develop it all, and Giolito became. <laughs> Giolito, so even then it's just like that type of that type of pick is just so low ceiling that like it's just always gonna make me a little there's mad. like a there's like a fundamental disconnect. it's the same it's the same thing I always start ranting about with with Anthony Kay and David Peterson, right if you're gonna take a low upside dude, which is what Gavin Sacchini was they they need to be a fast to the majors person. He's a high school shortstop. He's not going to be mm-hmm. fast to the majors. So what are you doing? You're wasting yeah. time on a dude without upside. Yep, that that ex- that basically exposes the the main kind of flaw and the rationale of okay, Cheech was the safe one. They're high school, but they're both high school players. Right. They're, it's there's, not, uh, there's an extreme risk no matter what. <laughs> there has never been a safe high school player. Right. Oh, yeah. don't, don't take don't draft low upside high school players in the first round or ever, but especially not in the first round. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. you got to swing if you're going to do that. You, I, you, if you and even like I can understand. I don't agree with them, but I understand draft philosophies where you want to save dude. Like, okay, take a college one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I'm more fine with that if you're going to spend money at the big league level. Sure. Because then you could fill in the the bench pieces and the other things with the safe. Yeah, absolutely. Draft. If you believe that, if you believe like contention is cyclic and you need a piece for, you need that like filled in piece for a year and a half or two years from now, fine. Yeah, it makes more sense. But that was also a, a thing, a, a pick that even as soon as it was made, it was like, why? <laughs> like, it, it was did just not inspire anyone. Yeah, it was just one of those where you're like, uh, at least with Nemo, like Nemo had the risk, like we were past Nemo at this point, but like Nemo had the risk of the non, he didn't play in, he didn't have the high school ball because of where he was from, but like you could see the upside and he hit it. So like, like you want to take that, you you want to be a little uneasy, sure, but it's just uneasy and then it's unexciting if it even hits. Like what is he even, if he hit, reaches his best? If you're going to take a prep shortstop early, you have to be positive he can either hit or play, you know, shortstop. an adequate shortstop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For Turns out it's cheats could do neither. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you take that player. Like <laughs> all, all of like the the reports at the time said that he was a no doubt shortstop, uh-huh. and obviously, yeah, that didn't. Uh, come to pass well well, that's another real that's another good point here in that not only is there the standard risk for high school to major league development right but athleticism and defense decline as you age yeah if you're drafting someone as a sure shortstop i kind of again want them to be closer to the majors not someone who's going to need eight years to develop and pick up nagging injuries and be 25 by the time they get here and really at no point in time in all of the different stops that I've saw him either in person or, you know, on- online and watching videos, did he look like a, a short thing, short stop? So I don't know what people saw the scouts that were saying that, but I don't know. It's probably, the funniest thing about Cheech to me was, um, that everybody cited like his brother being a minor leaguer as like pedigree. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, and his brother like, wasn't good either. They were basically the same player and neither had a meaningful big big league career. Yep. Garen Garen was Garen had, had a meaningful career, I guess. He like did some things. Did more than Gavin, that's true. He sure. had like one cup of coffee in the majors, I think, where he was like very, very solid and then came back and was just terrible. Wasn't mm. wasn't his dad like a coach at LSU or something like that? Something like that. It was like baseball yeah. pedigree. Yeah, they knows like how to play the game. Not exactly. It's, so does everyone else who gets drafted because, yeah. <laughs> like, literally every person in the draft knows how to play the game. I don't. I so I I remember what you said, Thomas, or was uh, I've already forgotten five minutes ago. Whoever mentioned Giolito, <laughs> I remember that being the guy people were pointing to. Were there people talking about Corey Seager at the time? Because there's another high school shortstop taking six pick li- picks later, but who had the obvious. He's like the f- complete flip side of Tijuana. Right. Yeah. He's what or you like, want he's all enough. upside, yeah. And, uh... High school prospect. And actually, does, does Seager like do reach his heights in the Mets organization? You know, like. I mean, we can do that knows. with all of these guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's, but. that's also another thing though, looking at Giolito. He's become such a good pitcher with the White Sox. Imagine, you know, the, the Mets have a very good reputation of developing good pitchers. Imagine what he could have been with yeah. Mets Brass if he was a Met. Cause he was not good in Washington. Like. No, 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 he, no. 
when he came up, it was like, oh, he just might be bad. And I mean, in Washington, it was just, hey, you have a 100-mile-an-hour fastball or whatever. Just keep throwing that, and it'll wor- all work out. Yeah. Then he lost a little bit, and suddenly it didn't work out so well, and they had to fix him in Chicago, which and admittedly they did a fantastic job of. Oh, yeah, he's an ace mm-hmm. now. Yeah, mm-hmm. star. I almost threw a perfect – well, excuse me. I almost threw a no-hitter with him with his card in MLB yeah. like two weeks ago. <laughs> nice. So He does good pitching ninja interviews too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, he's cool. Um, it was a pretty good draft all overall that year. Other guys that they had were Kevin Ploiecki in the supplemental round, Matt Koch in the third round, Corey Oswalt, mm-hmm, seventh round, Tomas Nito in the eighth round, Paul Seawald in the tenth round, Rob Whalen in the twelfth round, Matt Bowman in the thirteenth round, Chris Blessing in the fourteenth round, yeah, that's a lot. Tim Peterson in the twentieth round. So wow, yeah. even like Tim like, Peterson in the twentieth round is like. Not a terrible pick. No, that's a fantastic pick. And when you consider it's kind of like the draft, though, where um, the famous line we we draft like a higher percentage of big leaguers than anyone, but like all of them are like replacement level dudes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the draft that always makes me think of that. Yep. Like you got a lot of big leaguers, but like one of them has been worth more than like a win. See, that's, a, that's actually a really fair point, Ken, because that, I think, gets right back to the Cicchini, the Cheech problem. Right? They've, they've just taken all these un, unexciting, low upside guys, and yeah, they all make it to the majors, but do nothing. <laughs> like, they yeah. basically drafted an entire major league bullpen there, and it'd be the worst bullpen in baseball. That's <laughs> <laughs> the truth. At least they did get to the major leagues, though, and the IFAs that they picked that year, nobody did. Nobody Uh-oh. really even sniffed it. The highest paid guy that they signed that year was catcher Jose Garcia for $800,000. Then they had third baseman Johan Urania for 425000 I still and, think he would have been good. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah. And then right-hander Marcos Molina for 100000 Rip. Yep. So that is 2012, and now we'll move on to 2013. And before we look at free agent signings, let's look at free agent signings that benefited the team that didn't actually happen, and not signing Michael Bourne that winter oh was a big. Oh boy! Mm-hmm. I remember. I this. was so yep. mad that they did, <laughs> like furious that they passed on him. Yeah. So mad, and then like a year later, I was like, oh. <laughs> the Mets came pretty close to giving him a contract that was very similar to the one that the, the Cleveland Indians uh, gave him, but obviously Cleveland beat the Mets out. And a big reason why the Mets were hesitant to really pursue him that hard was because they weren't really – A, he wasn't really that great of a player. He was like, you know, a solid player, but nothing fantastic. Um, but more important than that, I guess, was the fact that – Draft protection for their first round pick was in question. There was some confusion over whether or not the Mets pick was going to be protected. Uh, the Mets had the 10th worst record in baseball in 2011, so they had the 11th overall pick in 2013. But because the Pirates got a compensation pick with the 9th overall selection because they didn't sign Mark Appel the prior year, there was confusion. The actual text in the CBA states that the first 10 picks get protected. Not the first ten not picks. The ten lowest records. Right, yeah. exactly. So, you know, obviously Cleveland signed him, so we'll never get we'll we'll never know how Major League Baseball was gonna clarify the situation. 
But worst case scenario, the Mets sign Michael Bourne. He is not really that great. And they would lose out on their first round pick in 2013. Uh, a guy that, you know, we'll talk about in a little bit. But I honestly don't remember if I was pro or against. So. Oh, I was pro. I was mm. pro him and I was pro Stephen Drew. So that's oh, where. Stephen Drew. Stephen right. Drew, I want. Wow. That's where 2013 and 2014 Thomas was at. Just <laughs> mad online that they did not sign these two individuals. And look how far you've come. <laughs> now you're mad on a podcast online. Yeah, yeah right? Yeah, <laughs> but Michael like, Bourne is interesting to me because, like, he kind of soured me on um, free agent center fielders, mm. like, permanently. Like, I, I've never <laughs> thought that was a good idea since Do go on. How, how we hey, dodged a bullet. argument for me uh, when, I, when Thomas and I finally oh, sit yeah. down to type this thing out. Because I want George – I would, like, sign George Springer and – Springer's not really of the same mold as the guys I'm talking no, about. Really Are not. you sure? Springer's just a little bit better than Michael Bourne. Uh. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, like, the guy who's a center fielder, but, like, not really a center fielder. A guy you could, whose only thing is speed, and, like, as yeah. soon as that goes away, he's screwed. Yeah, yeah but I was going to say that, Springer that, that soured me. That, that soured me on the signing speed guys thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. like, that was, because Bourne was, like, he made his living off that, like, that was the defense, and that was, like, a lot of the offense was being fast and working from there. And, like, I'd love players like that. Like, give me all the players like that. But the issue is when they're 30, <laughs> yep, they're not as fast anymore. <laughs> like, Born, fine, I think, was you know? 29 or 28. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. He was in. He was getting there. So mm-hmm. once that goes, it's it's gone. It doesn't come yeah. back. Yep, yep. All right, so now we'll look at the signs they actually did make. And on November 15th, 2012, they signed Carlos Torres to a minor league deal. And he'd become a pretty big part of the bullpen over the next couple of years. And he was a lot better than I remember him when yeah. I looked up his numbers. Yeah. And probably the craziest thing is that in 2014, the next year, he appeared in 73 games and pitched 97 innings. So you have a, a your reliever is approaching 100 innings. Only the Mets. Also made one of the greatest plays you'll ever see at first base. Well, it was Mur- him and Murph making that play at first base in that oh, extra yeah. inning yep. game in Philly, uh, where Jeff Francoeur hits a hard ground ball off of Carlos Torres's heel. Daniel Murphy careens to Daniel Murphy at first base, who like backhand flips it to Torres, who somehow beats Francoeur to the bag. Just an insane play. <laughs> Mm. Uh, the next and really only other um, interesting minor league signing they made that year was on January 31st, and they signed the Troy Hawkins to a minor league contract. And Hawkins had a pretty good year, uh, a pretty good career, but he was winding down by the time the Mets signed him, and he had an incredible resurgence. Um, he posted the highest F WAR that he had ever had in the prior nine years. At the age of 40. So, Jeez. Yeah. And then he was, you know, uh, a pretty positive influence on rookie Jerry's Familia. And that would pay some dividends when, you know, Familia kind of established himself. And that quick that quick pitch move that Familia periodically does came from Hawkins. So, and so the whole Hawkins, bullpen was quick pitching, was it, weren't they? Like yeah. for a couple of years because of Hawkins? Yeah. I'm su- I'm surprised that he's not like a pitching coach somewhere because he seems to be a guy that knows pitching pretty well and is like universally liked. So 
but I guess just, you know, there's only 30 pitching coach jobs and mm. probably a lot of guys out there. All right, so those are all of the uh, free agent moves. Now we'll move on to trades. And the first trade that took place in 2013 happened in December of 2012. And it was a big one. And Josh Tolley, Mike Nickias, and Ari Dickey were sent to Toronto Blue Jays in exchange for John Buck, Noah Syndergaard, Travis Darno, and Wilmer Becerra. Ah, yes, and the famous uh, Mike Nickias trade. Yes. Yes. <laughs> The rational part of my brain was like, wow, we just got two legit top 100 prospects, two top 50 prospects, John Buck, who's a solid major leaguer, and then a wild card in Wilmer Becerra. But then the non-rational part of my brain was just like, wow, the Mets traded R.A. Dickey. So oh, I still I still kind of have, you know, it's a, it's still kind of a sore spot for me, but you can't Steve, argue Steve, if you love something, you have to let it go. True. <sighs> True. Not to Canada, though. Yeah, true. <laughs> he was, like, never even good for the Blue Jays, honestly. He was... He he became more of, like, a kind of durable innings eater guy. Yeah. Like, he wasn't bad, but he wasn't... He wasn't the R.A. Dickey of old, either. No. Um, look, the Mets sold high. They got a great return. Mm-hmm. I love R.A. Dickey. I love knuckleballers, but... It's the right thing to do. Yeah, you can't argue getting back Syndergaard, Darno, and Becerra, even though he didn't, you know, really work out. But yeah, you never came back from that shoulder injury. This is never the same afterwards. The power never came back. Nope. Yeah, but he was one of those suits that even as like the a bottom level piece on that deal was like, oh, he could be interesting too. Like, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. He's the they, kind of guy that the Mets are just giving away for free in all of their trades. True. Nowadays. Yep. Um, another trade. There was a lot of trades in 2012. Oh, excuse me, 2013. The next one was on June 18th, and the Mets traded right-hander Colin McHugh in exchange for left fielder Eric Young Jr. And here's the guy that I was alluding to before about the analytics and, and needing a, a new place to kind of reinvent yourself. Because in the Mets, um, you know, McHugh was just kind of okay, you know, his his stuff is just so-so across the board. But obviously then when he went to um, the Astros the next year and he was working with their analytics guys and, you know, cheating a little bit too, whatever. But <laughs> he he became, uh, you know, a, a legitimate major league pitcher for a while there. Yeah, Probably wouldn't have happened with the Mets. See, it's funny you say that because it feels like when he was good, he had a very... Um... Metsy, Worthian pitching style mix, whatever you want to call it, right? So I always found it funny that they could never get things to work things out with him. It just goes to show that sometimes all you need is just one guy to teach you something a different way or, or show you something new or whatever, and that can completely change everything. Mm-hmm. Um. And now the final trade that took place that year was on August 27th, and the Mets traded John Buck and Marlon Byrd in exchange for Dilson Herrera and Vic Black. And, you know, even though Black, neither Black or Dilson worked out, it's still, you know, a win in terms of process because 
Dilson Herrera was a legit prospect in the Pirate system. And Vic Black was, you know, interesting. And for two guys that had no future on the Mets whatsoever and didn't factor into any of their plans, they got back two guys that legit could have if they, you know, did work out. Yeah, and that was just... Black hurt himself, so... 100 you know, times, 100. Somehow Dilson is only 26, so maybe he, okay. he's... He still legit has time to to become a, a legit player somewhere. Can someone explain to me why Dilson hasn't gotten a shot somewhere? Like he's hit for three different. He's like raked for three different organizations in AAA at this point. You're telling me that some shit team at the bottom of the league won't give this dude a chance to start? I don't know. I think it's just he's kind of limited to like second, really, and he's. Uh, <laughs> uh, Okay, defender, and he's short. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't get it. Like, if, if the Mets, I mean, the Mets are rich in infielders at the moment, and especially in second basements, so there's no place for him here, but I feel like a smart rebuilding team would look at this guy and say, like, hmm, well, the only time he was in the majors and got an extended chance with a healthy shoulder, he was basically league average. Since then, he's come back from a serious shoulder injury, Clearly has nothing left to show in AAA. Like, someone give Pickles a chance, please. Please, someone. Who are the Tigers running out there at second base now? Uh, I think Scope was pretty good last year. Alright, yeah, they had Scope. Good point. Um, He was on Baltimore last year, right? Like, he was, like, playing first base and stuff? He has all of six plate appearances for Baltimore last year. Because I know he Mm. played against the Mets. Like, I, I remember... But I didn't know if he was like a part of a regular part of their, uh, like up and down stuff, or he just was there for that game or that series. We mentioned him before, Phil Evans with the Pirates. Like Phil Evans could have just as easily have been Tilson Herrera. Yeah, you know, just you just need someone to give you a shot, I guess. And I don't know. All right, looking at the 2013 draft now. The Mets had the 11th overall pick, and they went with Dominic Smith. And I don't want to use the B word because it wouldn't be (laughs) appropriate completely, but for a while it was looking like the Mets really weren't going to get their money's worth from Smith. You know, he was never like a superpower first baseman or anything like that, but even the power that he was showing wasn't really what you would have wanted. And then the bat was starting to look slow, and you could start to, you know, the B might start forming on your lips. (laughs) <laughs> but then he finally cracked the major league roster. He got that improved medical. He got a speed apnea treated. He got in a better physical shape. And now look at him. Who would have thunk? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've got to. I've got to admit, I was very wrong on this one. I was very anti Dom Smith. I really mm-hmm. wanted Reese Same. McGuire. That didn't work. Yeah, crap catchers, man. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, the, the, there's only two real players that have produced more value than Dom that would have been picked in that area. One is Hunter Renfro, and then the other is Tim Anderson. And oh, I take Tim Anderson right now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, I think I would take Dom over Renfro. I think. Yeah, I yeah. definitely would. But yeah. if this if this Dom is the real Dom, then it doesn't matter if those guys have good careers because the guy the Mets picked is going to be a good player too. So yeah, oh yeah, yeah for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think like at this point, like. Dom has looked, he looks good. Like, it's not only, like, he's hitting well and stuff, like, he looks the part, too, to hit. Yeah. And if we keep the DH around, as in the NL, then he'll have a spot. 
Mm-hmm. I'm a little nervous about what happens with him as his Mets feature if the DH goes away because I don't know you get you got peed and yeah I don't know if well, he can play the field and but that's another conversation but and it fortunately unfortunately it's probably not going away so it is what it is at this point. I mean I like the DH so it could say. Well, you Same. also didn't know Shining Time Station it felt at you. So. <laughs> well, that- I, hey, I used to be anti-DH, and then the Mets had too many position players, and now I'm very pro-DH. See, that's how that's how I feel, but I just won't accept it. It's like cognitive dissonance. I just won't. I just don't miss the pitchers hitting. Like I, I just want there to be an exception in the rule book for Zach Granke. So Zach Granke, no, but he's on the Astros anyway now. Shit. Yeah, he was in the American League anyway. So. <laughs> I want Zach Greinke to be allowed to do whatever he wants on a baseball field forever until he retires. I think that could be written to the next CBA. Yeah. I mean, I'm, if there isn't a legitimate two-way player, like a guy who could really hit, you could probably just not use the DH that game. Yeah, that is true. According to the rules, you don't have to use the DH. You can yeah. have your pitcher pitch. I mean, yeah. your pitcher You hit, can have so. him hit and then just have a regular thing that game where you pinch it for the relievers. Because... Mm-hmm. You'll have enough bench pieces, I'm sure. Like, it's yep. not like teams are going to be running three-man benches with DH. They didn't do it this year, and American League teams don't do it either. So, you would conceivably have enough. And if the pitcher could hit for himself, even if you're going to take out the pitcher, you could still have them hit and then take them out after. Right. Yep. But that's like big brain. We're talking <laughs> about like a Shohei is pitching that game. Type this thing. is just a little too complicated for, for Manfred to figure out, you know? <laughs> Galaxy brain AL manager. Yep. Yeah. All right, and then looking at the IFA market that year really was not much. The only notable guy that they signed was Ahmed Rosario, who they signed for $1.7 million. I mean, you'll take and, that. Yeah, yep. I mean, he worked. Regardless of where he goes from here, he's established himself to some degree at the major league level, so he has worked out. and He know. makes it further than most. Uh, yeah, IFA. exactly true. If, if you could get even, like, a year's production out of an IFA dude, like... Juan Lagares and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You take that a million times over. Yep. Alright, uh, we'll move on to 2014 now. And they really did not have any interesting, uh, they didn't have any major minor league signings. Closest thing they had was re-signing Daisuke, who they signed in uh, 2013. Daisuke! And, yeah, he was like decent for the Mets in 2014, so it was just Daisuke, I guess. Uh, they did have some trades, though. One noteworthy one. Uh, on April 18th, near the beginning of the season, they traded first baseman Ike Davis to the Pittsburgh Pirates for Zach Thornton and a player to be named later who would become Blake Taylor. And Thornton, you know, did not work out. Blake Taylor, on the other hand, has become a very fine reliever for the not-Mets. <laughs> <laughs> And if there's one thing the Mets could use, it is relievers. Yeah. Taylor would have been, uh, well, Diaz put himself back together. So once Lugo was out of the bullpen, Taylor probably would have been like the second best arm out there for the Mets this year. And is Jake Marisnik, who, who they traded Blake Taylor yes. for, is, is yeah. Marisnik, is he under contract for next nope. year? Or? Nope. nope. So they traded away, not that anybody could have foreseen Marisnik getting hurt but so they traded away Blake Taylor a solid reliever for like six games of Jake Marisnik basically so, yes. Hmm. yes well that's Mets in the nutshell I guess 
I mean, it was a stupid trade in the first place, and then it worked out in about the worst way possible. Yep. All right, um, now we'll go over to the draft, because that was the only noteworthy trade. And they had the 10th overall pick, and with it, they picked Michael Conforto. And basically, since the draft ended, Michael Conforto and Trey Turner have, have basically gone back and forth over which guy has been the better player in terms of, of uh, career accumulated war. And I hope they keep going, because it's, you know, they're both good players, great players, really. Yeah. I have, to, I have to admit a mistake again here because I really wanted uh, Bradley Zimmer. Mm, I, was I wanted – go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. I mean, I was just going to say, I mean, I was like, hey, center, field, and center fielder who can hit. Oh, he can't actually hit. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was on the Tukey Toussaint trade, and, and I still stand oh, by Oh, we that. know, Steve. We, but, love, we yeah. know you love you some Tukey. <laughs> you know, you can't, definitely you can't argue – Against Conforto, no, definitely yeah. is is the uh, definitely has developed into the best hitter the Mets have had since like the the David Wright Jose Reyes era. Mm-hmm. It's, and, it's, I think he's the best player we've mentioned so far. Unless I'm yeah, a- yeah, yeah. Basically, uh, it's a good thing that the Mets picked Conforto too because that was not a particularly good draft for them. All I those guys that they. Go ahead. All those guys that they had selected, like the last prior two drafts that went on to work out, basically the only guy that the Mets picked that has logged major league innings was Brad Week, and Week wasn't even good in his handful of major league innings that he's accumulated so far. So. You really missed an opportunity to say it was Week. Oh yeah, very, <laughs> dis- very disappointed in you, Steve. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm disappointed in that draft. Yeah. And also, speaking of dis- well, not really disappointments, but the IFA class that year was mixed. Um, the highest signing that they made that year was outfielder Ricardo Cespedes, who they signed for $725,000. Did not work out. Um, the next highest guy, though, future still uncertain, is catcher Ali Sanchez. And they also signed Louis Carpio that year for 300000 and his career is kind of... Probably not going to develop into anything, but you never know. Uh, I will always believe. Somewhere, somewhere, a, a bearded man drinking a very complicated cocktail and listening to an obscure <laughs> album is uh, in somewhere in Connecticut, just like perked up at his desk for reasons we can't explain. <laughs> Louis Carpio was mentioned in the ether somewhere. <laughs> Another dude who never came back from a shoulder issue, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he he. Came back Quote, very unquote, changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm not looking at the numbers in front of me. I think like he kind of had no power, but he was hitting for a decent average in like 2018. And then last year he just kind of sold out for power, and his average just kind of plummeted. So he doesn't know what he is, and I guess neither does the organization. Still only 23, and. He was an above-average hitter at AA in 2019, so there's maybe something there, but it's just kind of punchless. Walks a lot, though. Mm. Could still be he, like a bench. Isn't it? If I recall correctly, though, his arm's a little short for short. So. Yeah. He's one of those dudes that I like. For mm. I don't I don't really know why. <laughs> yeah, but why I always... So, yeah. But 
all in all, over these last couple of years now, the Mets minor league system went from one of the worst in baseball from the late Omar years to being one of the best. Mm -hmm. Uh, Going into the 2015 season, which is where we're going to stop here, um, the strength of the minor league system was probably at its highest, you know, in in, in at the very least the eight years that I've been doing this. Because here was our top ten from that year in 2015. Number one prospect, Noah Syndergaard. Number two, Stephen Matz. Number three, Brandon Nimmo. Number four, Dilson Herrera. Number six, uh, oh, wow, that's a weird thing. I just copy and pasted and I forgot to put number five. Kevin Ploiecki. Thank you, Kevin Ploiecki. Number six, Rafael Montero. Number seven, Michael Conforto. Number eight, Ahmed Rosario. Number nine, Marcos Molina. And number 10, Gavin Caccini. And then there's some other notables with Dom Smith at 11, Rob Gazelman at 15, Michael Fulmer at 20, Jeff McNeil at 24, and then you also had, already at, in the majors, Matt Harvey, uh, Zach Wheeler, Kevin Powecki, and Travis Darno. So, Steve, you schmuck, you waste, you ranked Conforto behind Montero and Powecki. What are you doing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> basically, and uh, basically my, when, my, my rule at the time was if I ranked somebody at the same place or relatively close as Jeff, then I did okay. So, hey Jeff, Jeff had Marcus Molina in addition to those two guys ahead of Conforto. So, oh, that was the that was the summer where I want to say Jason Parks like discovered Molina and that uh-huh. he was like really good. So, yeah, I remember this. But yeah, what a what a high water mark for the monolith system. That's a hell of a group. Mm-hmm. And with the exception of Dilson, they've all, and Dilson and Marcos Molina, they all made the majors. And of that group, with the exception of, oh no, Dilson did make the Dilson, majors. Yeah, Dilson, yeah, Dilson has like 200 play appearances. Yeah. So basically with the exception of Molina, then they all made it. And then with the exception of Dilson, Molina, and Cheech, they've all had pretty solid runs to some degree or another. Yeah, absolutely. Claws, a reasonable backup catcher. Matt's might have too many injuries and could be shot now, but had a couple good seasons. Everyone else is between good and great, honestly. Even Travis figured it out. Well, he was good in 2015, and then uh, don't don't get me started on the (laughs) Travis rage cut, please. And now he's real good again. Mm -hmm. Good. Mm -hmm. I hope I hope he just blasts the Mets into out of existence for the rest of time because they deserve it. Uh, is he the new Yadier Molina? I, I mean, he's certainly more likable. Yes. Uh, uh, well, so we, we paused now at the beginning of the 2015 offseason, but you can definitely see how the, the team is now poised to make that run in the playoffs in 2015. So, any last words of the week? I like Sandy. I'm looking forward to fun yeah. fun press conferences again. That is true. He did have some sarcasm that we could all appreciate. Bro- Brody's just like the most boring corporate speak dude ever, and and Sandy was like had that a, really a confident, great... major yeah. league, yeah, <laughs> executive, and with, mm-hmm. with like that really great dry wit. There's always like you always like chuckle at least once during a Sandy press conference. I feel like I'm very curious to see what he looks like with a. Uh... Assuming Cohen gives him a big budget with a big budget to spend, I I would much prefer him 
Well, we could, we maybe save this discussion for after we do a couple of these. Uh, how what the role we'd like to see him in is. Oh, I think we could all agree that he will be nothing but a net positive going yes. forward. Yes. Yes. Yep. All right. If anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you could send us an email at our email address from complexthequeens at gmail.com. And please, whoever it was out there, do not use our our email address to sign up for like porn. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to have any more porn spam. So thank you. And you can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Seiper. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. Ken is at Ken1191. And Thomas is at SadMetSeasonSZN. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Rate and review it. And, of course, thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. So until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets.